This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show at 8 o'clock, Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire hops on the rush line as his team gets ready for the state tournament in Charleston for the first time in school history. Don't want to miss that. We'll look back at the uh, first round of the NFL draft. Well, actually, the entire draft. But in particular, the first round. As I kind of break down and see how I did on my not-too-serious-because-we're-all-guessing-anyway mock draft. We'll look at the overall drafts of the Ravens, Steelers, and Washington fighting Rivera's. Some of those drafts I liked. One in particular... I hate it. And the the good old Aaron Rodgers saga continues in Green Bay. All that and more coming up on the next two hours of the Morning Rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day and yet another essential work week. Several ways to get involved on the show. As always, hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All of those pages are free and open to the public. Although the names of a few of them will be changing here in a few weeks. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shabo, 301-759-26. I have way too much energy for a Monday morning. I don't know why, but it's scary. A 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day. Money's commercials just for you. So, for instance, if you're not around at 8 o'clock to catch our interview with Danny Alkire, you can check it out on the podcast page uh, later on this morning. See how that works? Pretty easy. All right. Uh, a lot of stuff to get to today. And we'll kick things off, as we always do, with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with Major League Baseball where a pair of veterans carried the day for the Nationals. Rogers ready, he deals. Swing a high drive, straightaway center field. This one crushed. Harrison back, and there it goes. Right over the 402 mark in dead center. A three-run home run for Ryan Zimmerman. His fourth career home run, 274 for the Nats' all-time leader. And on an 0-2 pitch, he gives the Nationals a 3-0 lead here in the third. Dave Jagler, the call on the Nationals radio network, that three-run homer by the Z-Man would be all that Max Scherzer needed in a 3-1 win over the Marlins. Scherzer threw a complete game five-hitter with nine strikeouts and no walks. Jan Gomes had two hits for Washington, which has won four straight, by the way, to get back to the 500 mark at 12-12. and a team that was 12 and 12, the Pirates, are now 12 and 15 after getting swept by the Cardinals, including yesterday's 3 nothing loss 
at PNC Park. Uh, Harrison Bader had a three-run homer. Carlos Martinez went eight scoreless for the Cards, who have beaten the Pirates seven straight times. And they are 20-9 and against Pittsburgh uh, since 2019. And what a shame for the Pirates, right? 12-12, and both teams were 12-12, and tied for second place in the NL Central. Big early series for both teams, and the Pirates get swept. They can't even win one stinking game in the series. Anyway. Uh, In Oakland, the A's beat the Orioles 7-5 to avoid a three-game sweep. Ramon Laureano robbed the O's of a tie-breaking homer in the top of the eighth and then hit a game-winning two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth. Austin Hayes homered, and Trey Mancini had two hits and drove in three uh, for Baltimore. Tonight on the ice, the Caps and Pens are both in action, both on the road. The Pens travel across the Keystone State to take on the Flyers, and the Caps take on the Rangers at MSG. Pittsburgh leads Washington by two points for first place in the East Division. Catch that Caps game right here on this very station, pregame at 645. And that was a key late series for Pittsburgh and Washington. They played back-to-back games in D.C. The Pens took both which is why they had that two-point lead in the East Division. And in the NBA tonight, speaking of big games, the Wizards and Pacers play a big one in Washington. The Wizards trail Indiana by a game and a half for that ninth spot in the Eastern Conference. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. So, all right, a lot of things to get to. Uh, Several things happened since uh, last time we met, which was uh, Thursday morning. It was the morning of the first round of the NFL draft. I gave you my not-so-serious mock draft. Took Friday off because of the very long road trip we had to take Thursday night. Then, of course, the the NFL draft wrapped up uh, over the weekend. And that long road trip was to Clay County, which I had never been to before in my life. All right, because Frankfurt, the boys are taking on Clay County in a region uh, co-final, right? Winner goes to the state tournament in Charleston. Boys State Tournament starts tomorrow. And most most Frankfurt fans know by now what happened. And I think a lot of people do. It was it was it, I can't remember the last major gut punch I've experienced in sports like before that. I mean it's it's been a while. Just one of those things that happens in sports. We've all if you watch sports long enough, if you're a fan long enough, there's there's a, something that happens, a play that just takes your breath away. It's just like it's like getting mule kicked right in the gut. And that's what happened on Thursday night. Just one of those things that I've already replayed in my mind a thousand times. And first of all, let me let me just say this. 
you're talking about two teams that went into that game uh, from different ends of the spectrum. Clay County, number one seed in the region, top 10 team in the state. Uh, Our Frankfurt boys struggled for a lot of the year, still won the section, finished number one in our section, but only four, I think, four wins going into uh, that game Thursday. And I think a lot of people really didn't give uh, Frankfurt a chance to go to Clay County and win that game. And all they did was take Clay County right down to the wire. I mean, right down to the wire, only to have victory snatched away in the final seconds of regulation. And I'm, I'm telling you, man, it, it was one of those, you know, as a coach or a parent or a fan or whatever, you are so proud because, I mean, the guys has played their guts out. It's the best game they played all year. In, in a loss. It's the best game they played all year, by far. Especially offensively. And to take, I guess what it amounted to, a four-hour, four hours now. It, it wasn't a hop, skip, and a jump. A four-hour bus ride, right? Take on a top team in a state, a top 10 team, excuse me, in a rather... Hostile environment. And I mean that in the best way. I mean, it was a great crowd. It really was. A lot of people at Clay County. A lot of people for that game. Because I'm fairly certain it's been a while since they were in the state tournament. And just to give that team everything it could handle. It was a, a fantastic effort. It was just it was so good. It was, the effort was so good. Frankfurt sitting there nine seconds away, right? Right there, right there for the taking. Up by three with nine seconds left. Nine seconds away from getting ready to go to Charleston this week and play in the state tournament. And then the gut punch. The shot. The shot that I've seen in my mind a thousand times since Thursday night. Clay County gets down the floor. They make one pass. And this kid launches a 30-footer that he banks in. He banked. He banked it in at the buzzer to send the game in overtime. They They took control in overtime, and they win by 10 points. And really, in that kind of environment, on the road, you got to win that game in regulation. It, it, it is, it's almost impossible to ask your team to, to pull it all together and come back when that happens to you, right? Because the place went crazy, rightfully so. The place went nuts when that shot went in. And it just, like, you just, you felt, you felt the air just, just go out of our side. Just, all I could do <laughs> is say, under my mask, you got to be bleeping kidding me. And I said it about four times. Like that, that, di- that didn't just happen, right? You just, you, you saw it happen, but you're still telling yourself that didn't just happen. He did not just make a 30 footer and he banked it in a prayer to say, like that. you got to be bleeping kidding me. But unfortunately, it happened. To be that close 
And then, of course, you got the long ride home, and you, re- and you replay it over and over and over, hoping that it's going to be a different outcome. You second-guess everything. What could we have done differently? What should have we done differently? And I don't think really nothing, to be honest with you. After going through all possible scenarios, and I know there are some people who might think, you know, maybe you found that situation, right? Because Jansen Moreland, clutch, hit two foul shots to put us up by three with nine seconds left. And, and it, it's all just a, a matter of where you come from. Some coaches' philosophy say you don't foul there, you, you play it out. Some coaches say you foul there because you're up by three. You foul, send them to the line. Even if they make both foul shots, you're still up by one and you have the ball. But there are so many vari- variables that go into that, right? All right, so you, so you foul them, you put them on the line. Make the first one, and what if they miss the second one? They clearly had the rebounding advantage. They had the Litton kid who's 6'6 and can jump higher than anybody we have. Chances are they make it the rebound. What happens if they make both and we can't get the inbound in? I mean, there's so many things that could happen. So you think about it, say, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe we should have fouled them and put them on the that, that is one strategy. But then I think about it, and I'm like, you know what? No. No. Because you look, you look at the shot that they got. It's it's not like Frankfurt let them we just let them pass the ball around for 20 seconds and hit a wide open jumper from the corner, it was literally a running, leaning, 30-foot prayer that he banked in. I'll take my chances with that shot any day. Any day. If, if he if he shoots that ball 20 times, it goes in once out of the 20. And it just happened to be on Thursday night. So, I, I you know, we're not going to sit here and, and, and beat ourselves up over, you know, strategy when you've when, – we defended the play as good as we as well as we could. I mean, look at the shot they got. It just he threw up a prayer and it was answered. And there's nothing you can do about that. It happens in sports, right? It happens. But it was oh, just just a massive gut punch. You you felt terrible for the kids because they played so hard. They gave it absolutely everything. And at that point, there's not much you can say. Because you can just see it on their faces. You could feel it. And, and to, to go out like that, man, it's tough. It's tough. You know, and it's always tough when the season comes to an end, right? But I, I will say this. Uh, Clay County, class act. Like I said, I've never been. The first time I've ever been in Clay County, ever been to their school. And they were an absolute class act. Now, now granted, it's a lot easier to be gracious in victory, right? You know what I mean? Had they lost that game, I'm not quite sure. Although I'll give them, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Because I have never experienced after a game. Because when a game was over, and of course, they all come on the court and they're getting ready to cut down the net, which I'm, I'm really getting sick and tired of seeing, uh, seeing. But everybody was just kind of milling around the floor. Like both teams. Just kind of, you know, because they're getting ready to cut down the nets. We're all just kind of in shock a bit, and like, this is our last game. We got six seniors moving on. So it was very emotional, very, you know, everybody's just kind of standing there. And I've never experienced a game where so many people from the other team, coaches, uh, players, like people from the crowd, fans, came over and 
was so complimentary of the way our boys played. And was and they were so and again, it's easy to, to, to you know to say it with a smile on your face whenever you just won. But they were just it, it was just classy. It, it was just, you know, you boys, you played hard, what a great team, what a great effort. You know, boy, what a, we'll never forget that game. And it, it almost reminded me of the the Kaiser Frankfurt sectional from uh, last year, the double overtime game. Where it's just, you know, how many uh, Clay County folks said this is a game, it's one of the better games I've ever seen. Right? And they said that's one of the best games we've ever seen here. Now, it, it's, it stinks when you're on the losing end, so you can't quite classify it that way. But it was a great game. It really was. I mean, they even fed us. They knew we had a long trip. They fed us the pizza and sandwiches and stuff like that. And <laughs> one, one of our guys, they're out in the hallway. We're getting ready to leave, and he's like, I don't know how to feel right now. He said, they just beat us and ended our season, but they're being so nice to us. He said, I'm conflicted. <laughs> it was, and they were. They were genuinely nice people. So uh, tip of the cap to Clay County for uh, their hospitality and whatnot, except the fact, you know, they beat us. What are you going to do? But uh, it was a great game. You know, it's, it's one of those games where how many times, it's this old cliche, you know, it's unfortunate somebody had to lose. And, you know, it was just unfortunate that it was us this time. But uh, it's the way it goes, right? That's sports. It, it's every now and then you get that gut punch. And, uh, you know, look, the end of the, end of the season is never easy. It, it, if you're a coach, you, you can feel me on this one, okay? The end of the season never gets easy. Never. I don't care how long you've been doing it. Now, this was my, uh, what, 12th, uh, 12th year coaching? And I don't care if it's high school, middle school, church league, whatever. The end of the season is always difficult. Just because of the time you put in and, and, and the bonds that you make with, with, with the kids, right? I mean, you spend hours and hours with the players, five, sometimes six days a week, months on hand, although this year a little bit different. It's a little bit shorter because of the pandemic. But you get to know these kids, especially the seniors, because you've been around them for two, three years. And then one day it's just like, it's, it's, it's not there anymore, right? There is definitely a void when the season ends. Like you wake up. And you got nothing to do that evening. And that that was me on Friday. Because, again, I took Friday off because of the long – I didn't get back till I think, 1230 uh, Thursday night or Friday morning, technically. And then either at 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock, I'm usually getting ready to you know head up to practice. But I'm sitting there Friday like, all right, I don't have to do it. And I'm not quite sure to do it myself. And I think – uh, in some ways, it's tougher on coaches like me because I'm not a teacher, obviously, although I probably should have been because I don't even get to go back to school and see the kids the next day when the season's over. I just go home after work and don't go anywhere. It's like this this complete cutoff. And it's just it's so sudden and abrupt it's just, it's hard, man. I'm not going to lie. It's it's hard. Like, Friday was hard for me. Because we just went through this emotional thing 
the night before, we went through this, this emotional roller coaster, this emotional ride together that Thursday night at Clay County, and then Friday, I'm sitting at home by myself looking at the wall, looking at the cats like, what's up? What are we, what are we doing here? You know, I, I felt like I should be somewhere, coaching somebody, doing something. And it's just nothing. End of, the, end of the season, man, never, ever gets easy. Ever. In particular, a season like this year when you have six seniors moving on. Like, that's it. Their careers came to an end Thursday night after a game like that. Very, very tough stuff. But anyway, that's uh, that's under the bridge, right? New players come along, new seasons roll around, and uh, you keep on trucking. That's what you do. All right. I've gone on long enough about that. I I felt the need to uh, vent. Very, very therapeutic for me. You just had to endure it, so there you go. When we come back, some draft talk. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, Before we get into our draft talk, uh, while I was busy lamenting uh, Frankfurt's close loss on uh, Thursday night, I forgot to congratulate Moorfield for winning their region co-final Thursday night. A 10-point victory over Braxton County. So the Yellow Jackets headed to the state tournament. The AA State, congrats to the Jackets. I'm telling you, I called it. I can't remember if I mentioned it on the show. I'm pretty sure I did. And this Moorfield team reminded me a lot of that Grafton team two years ago. Grafton had won seven games all season. They went to Frankfurt and got blown out in the regular season. Went back to Frankfurt for a section playoff game, and they won that game. And they kept winning until they got to the state tournament. I think they went through Frankfurt, Kaiser, and I think North Marion. Seven wins all season. Went to Charleston. And this Moorfield team, which won the first game of the season, then lost 11 straight. And then hasn't lost since. They beat uh, Petersburg in the section semis. They beat Frankfurt in the section title game. And they beat Braxton County in the region, region final. Did I miss a game in there somewhere? I don't think I did. They got five. They've won four. They've won four straight, right? Oh, that's right. They beat uh, Pocahontas County in there somewhere. Actually, wait a minute now. I'm off here. They won one. They lost 11. Then they beat Pocahontas County, Kaiser, Petersburg. Frank, they've won five in a row. Five in a row. So they've won six total. But on a five-game win, just like I'm telling you, that very similar. I think that Grafton team was a little bit better a couple years ago. But the storylines are, are the same, right? Shaky, iffy regular season, and you just you see it all the time in sports. Teams get hot at the right time, and they ride that wave all the way, all the way to the state tournament. That's what Moorfield did, so congrats to them. Five straight wins to end the season, or you know, to this point. But now a very tough task taking on uh, number one uh, Williamstown uh, tomorrow. And we'll preview all that stuff uh, during tomorrow's show. All right, NFL draft was this weekend, as you all know. And we'll break down Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Washington in here later this hour. 
But first, uh, on Thursday morning, I gave you my not-too-serious, because we're all guessing anyway, uh, mock draft for the first round. And I got to tell you, relative to last year, I didn't do too bad. Last year, I only got two picks right (laughs) out of 32. Only got two. This year, uh, relatively speaking, a little better. Now, the first one was a no-brainer. I'm not going to go through all 32 here, but uh, the first one was a no-brainer with Trevor Lawrence, and then we had Zach Wilson going to the Jets. So the first two picks, I tied last year's total. So I was off to a good start. As a matter of fact, I got the first five right. Lawrence, Wilson, I got Trey Lance at number three. Some people thought it might be Mac Jones. Some people thought uh, Justin Fields. But I thought all along it was going to be Trey Lance. Got that one right. Then Kyle Pitts, no-brainer. Jamar Chase, no-brainer. I got the first five picks right. After that, mm, things kind of went off the rails. And when you're, we made a comparison before where you're trying to do a mock draft like this. It's very similar to picking your NCAA tournament brackets. Like as soon as you miss one, then it kind of, you know, it's spider webs from there. Because when you're doing a mock draft, if you miss one, then you're pretty much guaranteed to miss two. Because whoever you had going in one spot is going to end up in somebody else's spot. So there's two right off the bat. And I was close at number six. I said the Dolphins would go with one of the two Alabama wide receivers, either Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle. I just picked the wrong one. <laughs> or, or, hey, maybe they did. I don't know. I thought it'd be Smith. They went with Waddle. So, you know, maybe half a point credit right there. I got Panay Sewell going to the Lions at number seven. Nailed that one. And then it all unraveled. I thought the Panthers would trade this pick to New England because the Patriots wanted to trade up for a quarterback. Turned out they didn't have to. So the Panthers stayed put. I got the Broncos wrong. I got the I got the next uh, several picks uh, wrong. Because then there was some moving and shaking. Uh, the Cowboys traded out of number 10. With the Eagles, and the Eagles took Devontae Smith. The Giants traded out of number 11 with Chicago. The Bears snatched up Justin Fields. Very good pick there, I think. I got the Chargers right at number 13. I said the Chargers would take Rashawn Slater, the tackle from Northwestern, and they did. A couple other ones, I don't even know if I had anyone anymore right after that, to tell you the truth. I did have a couple players. <laughs> I had a couple players going to the right team but in the wrong slot, right? Like like the Vikings, for instance, I had Minnesota taking a Christian Derisaw, the tackle from Virginia Tech, with the number 14 pick, but they traded all the way down to 23, and they still got him. So I had the right team, right player going to the right team, but just in a different draft slot. So you take that for what it's worth. I got the Steelers right at 24, which we'll get into in just a bit. I didn't like it. So overall... I got eight of the 32 first-round picks right, which, again, much better than last year's uh, two out of 32. And if you want to count the two players, I had two players going to the right team but in the the wrong draft position because of trades. So if you want to count those two, I had 10. I had 10 players going to the right team out of 32. I'll take it. It's not bad. It's all guesswork anyway. But it's, you know, I'll take it. Especially compared to, 
<laughs> compared to last last year's two out of thirty-two. Anyway, uh, all right, let's let's look in, at it a little bit further now. With the draft now officially in the books, we'll look at how the Ravens, Steelers, and the Washington Fighting Riveras did. Keep in mind, I laugh at people who give out draft grades like the day after the draft is over because it's impossible to know for sure how these players will pan out. So when I tell you how I think each team did, (laughs) I know I'm going against what I just said. But we got to talk about it, right? That's what we do. I mean, that's that's, that's what the show is. It's a talk show. We talk, I, I want to hear your opinion, too. I want to hear how you thought your team did, whether it's the Ravens, Steelers, Washington, or somebody else. 301-759-2628. So we'll break down the three drafts, and we'll go from, in my opinion, uh, best to worst, which means we'll start with Baltimore's draft. Ravens certainly went for need at number 27. Everybody knew they needed a receiver, a number one, a potential number one to help Lamar Jackson in that passing off. And so they went out and they got Minnesota's Rashad Bateman. He's small at only six feet, about 190 pounds, but he can fly. Ran a 4-3-9-40 at his pro day. He can play on the outside. He can play in the slot. And... His greatest strength is creating separation with his footwork right off the line of scrimmage. Now, according to one scout, he didn't show much in run blocking. And look, the Ravens run the ball a lot. So we'll have to work on that. But that's really not its not the top of the priority list when you're trying to find a number one receiver. So it was a good pick because it's exactly what they needed. With the 31st overall pick, which they got from Kansas City in the Orlando Brown trade, they took Penn State edge rusher Odafe Owe. Now, look, he went by Jason in college because people had trouble pronouncing his first name. And to his credit, and I love this, he said, quote, I don't care anymore. You're going to have to learn how to pronounce it, end quote. <laughs> And it was another area of need for Baltimore since three of its top six edge rushers from last season left in free agency. And Owe was an all-Big Ten selection last year. He can fly. He's even faster than Rashad Bateman. If you can believe it, Bateman, I said, ran a 4-3-9-40. Owe ran a 4-3-6. Or is it Owe? Is it Owe or Owe? Am I pronouncing that wrong? Odafe, is it Owe? I think it's Owe. And look, and he's not small either. He's 6'5", 257. So you get an edge rusher at 6'5", 257 that can run a 4.36. That's insane. Now the one knock on him, and this is a big knock for an edge rusher, is he didn't get to the quarterback a lot when he was in Penn State. In three seasons, he only had seven sacks, and none last season. He is the first defensive end slash outside linebacker to be taken in the first round in the last 25 years after recording no sacks in his final college season. Now, he did have 63 total tackles in in 20 games, 13 and a half tackles for loss. But if there's any team that can coach him up and tap into that sack potential, it's the Ravens. 
Third round, they got Georgia guard Ben Cleveland, who is an absolute monster. 6'6", 343, and he could start immediately. And I think one of the biggest deals of the draft, could be, potentially, is when they got Ohio State cornerback Sean Wade in the fifth round. Wade was thought to be a first-round talent before he struggled mightily last season, mainly because he moved from slot corner to the outside. And he had some injuries. He had a knee issue and a uh, turf toe issue. But to drop all the way to the fifth round? I mean, something's got to be going on. I mean, look, he struggled last year big time. And he originally opted out last season when it looked like the Big Ten wouldn't have a season, and then he came back. If he had not played last year, he likely would have been a first-round pick. That's how bad of a 2020 season he had to go from that potential all the way to a fifth-rounder. But landing in Baltimore again with uh, D coordinator Wink Martindale, he could turn out to be a great late-round find for the Ravens in the fifth round. I think he was a two-time All-Big Ten selection. Was he not first team? So if you're willing to, you know, just kind of chalk up last year to one of those pandemic messes, opt out, opt back in, injuries, this and that, whatever, uh, the Ravens could have found themselves a great deal with Sean Wade. Overall, and again, I think draft grades are stupid, but for the sake of the conversation, I give the Ravens a B plus for their overall draft. I thought they definitely... Uh, filled some areas of need. And overall, B+. Next up, who was better, Washington or Pittsburgh? That's coming up next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Breaking down the draft from this past weekend. Looking at the three teams we talk about most here on the show, the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Washington Fighting Riveras, kind of ranking their drafts from best to worst. Just went over the Ravens. And again, I I can't stand draft grades, but I do it anyway because that's what we're supposed to do. So I gave them a B plus, and I'm ranking them from best to worst. So the Ravens are first, and I have the second-best draft out of the three, uh, going to Washington. The Fighting Riveras had the 19th overall pick. I thought they needed to go offense, maybe try to get a playmaker, maybe go offensive line. Instead, they chose to bolster an already very good defense by taking Kentucky linebacker uh, Jamin Davis. Only started one year at UK, but he's a freak athlete. Plays inside, he can cover, and look, he was projected as a late first-rounder, early second-rounder, so maybe because of that lack of experience, he was you know projected in that slot. So maybe Washington took him a little bit high at 19, but here's a cat who was an all-SEC selection last season, led the team with 102 tackles, was one of only four SEC players to average more than 10 tackles a game. And we'll talk about the SEC here. He had eight career double-figure tackle games all were last season. So he definitely made the best 
uh, out of his only year as a starter. Caller, hold on. So you ask, why go defense instead of offense? When you look at Washington's schedule, look at the quarterbacks they have to face this season. (laughs) Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott twice, Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, and Aaron Rodgers. If, you know, he's still playing for the Packers. That's a lot of firepower at quarterback they have to play this season. So you kind of understand why they wanted to shore up that linebacker position behind that front four with Jamin Davis. Let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? Go ahead. You're on the air. No, you're not. All right. Thanks for the call and wasting 10 seconds of my life that I'll never get back. Now, Washington did go offense in the second round and grabbed a Texas offensive tackle, Samuel Cosme. He'll step right in and start out left tackle. It was a need for Washington after trading Trent Williams last year. And they addressed it, unlike another team that we'll talk about here next hour. (laughs) Cosme started 34 of 35 games at Texas. He was an all-Big 12 pick last season. Solid choice for Washington in the second round. In the third round, they took Minnesota corner Benjamin St. Just, and I didn't get this pick at all. Secondary wasn't exactly a pressing need for Washington, so it looks more like a depth pick, which I don't think that's something you go looking for with the 74th overall pick. I didn't like it. Now, however, I did love their second third-round pick, which was North Carolina receiver Deami Brown. Perhaps, depending on who you listen to, the best deep threat in the entire draft. Now, he's not huge as an outside receiver at 6'1 and a buck 89, but he runs a 4-4-40. And I think he'll fit in nicely with uh, Terry McLaurin, Adam Humphreys, and Curtis Samuel. I really like that pick. And so did, for whatever it's worth, Mel Kuyper Jr. Because he had Brown as the best available player when Washington drafted him. So they made up for the uh, St. Juice pick with the uh, Deami Brown pick. They also picked up Dax Milne in the seventh round for more receiving depth. He was one of uh, Zach Wilson's favorite targets at BYU. He caught 70 passes for almost 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns. Rounds four, five, and six, eh, underwhelming. You know, they did pick up some depth at tight end with uh, Boise State's John Bates in the fourth round. He's the kind of guy fast enough to be a threat in a passing game, big enough at 6'5", 250, to maybe be a quality blocker at the NFL level. So that might turn out to be a pretty decent pick. But overall, at first, I didn't quite get the linebacker pick at 19 because I thought they needed more offensive help. But then looking at their schedule and who they have to face this season, I understand it. So I gave Washington to be minus. I gave them to be minus. I liked overall, overall, I liked their draft. Again, I didn't like uh, – and they look, Benjamin St. Juice may turn out to be a fantastic cornerback uh, in the NFL. I don't know. I don't know until we see him play. But I, I, I thought they could have grabbed somebody better there. But who knows, right? And that's why it's it's so, you know, 
all this is just so random because we don't know how this is going to work out. We don't know how many of these first-rounders, second-rounders are going to pan out. We have no idea. We don't know who found a diamond in the rough in the fifth round or the sixth round. No clue. But it's fun to talk about. It's what we do, right? So I gave the Ravens a B-plus, and I gave Washington a uh, B-minus, which leaves the Steelers. And I don't have enough time to get into it now. You're going to have to wait until next hour. And I just, I hated the Steelers. Uh, Here's a little hint for you. A little teaser, I hated their draft. I hated it. With a passion, I hated it. And I'll explain why next hour. Now, don't forget, coming up uh, just past top of the hour, we'll do our rock around the region, and then we'll have Hampshire's uh, boys basketball coach, Danny Alkire, on the show as he's getting ready to take the Trojans to the state tournament for the first time in school history. They play on Wednesday. And they're taking on number one, Robert C. Bird. Great season for Hampshire to this point. Again, going to the States for the first time in school history. Great accomplishment, and we'll talk to Coach Alkire about that shortly after the top of the hour. Then after we talk to Coach, we'll come back to the draft talk, and I'll give you my draft grade uh, for the Steelers, which I think as you can already tell, not great. Not great. Guaranteed it wasn't an A, nor was it a B. So that leaves three left. I don't know what they were doing. I just just don't. But hey, they're the ones getting paid to make those decisions. They're a lot smarter than me. Again, when we're talking about the draft, who knows? Some work out, some don't. But I'll give you my Steelers draft grade after we talk to Coach Alkire. Also, reminder tonight, don't forget Capitals Hockey right here. The Caps taking on the Rangers at MSG Washington. Two points behind Pittsburgh for first place in the East Division and really only two weeks left in the regular season. Still a lot to be determined as far as uh, playoff seeding and who gets home ice in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, again, tonight, Caps, Rangers, pregame 645, puck drop. At uh, 7 o'clock. All right, stick around. Hour number two around the corner doing push-ups. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Caller, we got Danny Alkire on the show here shortly. Make this quick. Go ahead. Tony C., what's up? What's up? Did you see that picture I sent you? Yeah, big fish. <laughs> hey, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Why all of a sudden the drama with the Jordan Love draft? That was a year ago. Because Rodgers loves drama and he's a crybaby. That's why. Yeah. I mean, he's a great player, but I I don't think a lot of people like him as a person. I don't, I don't understand. Maybe he saw what Tom Brady did and they helped him offensively, getting Antonio Brown and Gronk and, and all those guys, and he kind of feels like he's worth that too. But Green Bay needs to shore up defensive problems too. Yeah, right? they have never taken a receiver in the first round since Aaron Rodgers has been there. That is inexcusable. And they had a chance to this draft because there were some good receivers on the board and they still didn't do it. So right. from that, I, at, I, from that I, aspect, I, he should be upset. I, I thought maybe they'd get Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. But. Well, yeah, Moore was there. Uh, the kid from LSU was there. Terrace Marshall Jr. There were there were guys there. 
How many times did New England draft a receiver in the first round for Tom Brady? I don't know. But Aaron Rodgers ain't Tom Brady. Here's that your apples and oranges there. Rod- <laughs> Rodgers is great, but he's not Tom Brady. Right. It just seems like Tom Brady made the most of what he had around him, and Aaron Rodgers isn't willing to do that. He wants what he wants. He's almost like he's, he thinks he's the GM of that team, even well, though he's not. Well, that's what it is. He wants input. The bottom line is, even without these receivers that he once drafted, he was the MVP last year. He still puts up great numbers. I don't know what his beef is. And the Jordan Love thing, if he's threatened by Jordan Love, get some thicker skin, man. Like I don't know what his I don't know. I don't know what his deal is. He's just addicted to drama. I guess he's, you know, just loves being the center of the attention since he's been on Jeopardy, whatever the hell he's doing. <laughs> One other quick thing. ESPN had a thing on yesterday. It was the most it was the three most likable quarterbacks and the three most disliked quarterbacks. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers was number one. But you know one name I did not hear, and I'm kind of surprised? Deshaun Watson. How is he not one of the most disliked right now? I think people are still holding out uh, judgment to him. We know everything. We still don't know everything. Nope. We, yeah, we know there are lawsuits in, what, I think 22. It's up to 22 now. But we don't know everything. So I think people are just kind of, kind of waiting to see how it plays out. All right. Before I go, I just want to let you know I'm in that Hockey Fantasy Championship week. You made it, huh? <laughs> I made it. Actually, I've been in it a week already. They go by two weeks in the playoffs. So I got a week left. I'm up on my guy. So my username is Ukla the Mock. Oh, I remember grew- that. Yeah, from Thunder of the Barbarians. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, yeah. So the last day of the championship week, I'm going to change it to Ukla the Champion. <laughs> a little foreshadowing there. Yeah, a little bit. All right, dude. All right, man. Got to run. All right, James. Later on. Thanks for going. Bye. 301-759-2628. James checking in. He sent me a picture yesterday. Uh, He was obviously on a fishing trip, and there's like five or six. And the the fish they caught are huge. Absolutely just gigantic, massive fish. It was impressive. Quite impressive. All right. uh, Before we get to uh, Coach Danny Alkire from uh, Hampshire, uh, let's quickly uh, rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with Major League Baseball. Ryan Zimmerman, a three-run homer. Max Scherzer, a complete game five hitter. As the Nats beat the Marlins 3-1. to one. Scherzer, nine strikeouts, no walks. Uh, Jan Gomes had two hits for Washington, which has won four straight to get back to the 500 mark at 12-12. and 12. A team that was 12-12, and 12, the Pirates, are now 12-15 and 15 after getting swept by the Cardinals including yesterday's 3-0 loss at PNC Park. Harrison Bader, a three-run homer. Carlos Martinez, eight scoreless for the Cards, who have now beaten the Pirates seven straight times. And in Oakland, the A's beat the Orioles 7-5 to avoid a three-game sweep. Ramon Laureano robbed the O's of a tie-breaking homer in the top of the eighth and then hit a game-winning two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, Austin Hayes homered and Trey Mancini had two hits and drove in three runs uh, for Baltimore. Tonight on the ice, the Caps and Pens both in action, both on the road. The Pens travel across the Keystone State to take on the Flyers. The Caps take on the Rangers at MSG. Pittsburgh leads Washington by two points for first in the East Division. And in the NBA tonight, Wizards and Pacers. Big game in Washington. The Wizards trail Indiana by a game and a half for the ninth spot 
in the Eastern Conference. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Joining us on the rush line right now, his team will take the court this Wednesday afternoon at the Boys State Tournament in Charleston for the first time in school history. Hampshire head coach Danny Alkire, good enough to join us this morning. Coach, thanks for coming on, and congratulations on a great season so far. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Tony. Not a problem. Now, uh, when you hear somebody say what I just said, that Hampshire is in the state tournament for the first time ever, and to know as head coach you played a big part in that what goes through your mind? Uh, I mean, it's across the board. It, myself, the team, just so grateful, so humble to have the opportunity. Uh, it, it just when you look in the faces of the kids for all the time and the work, like any other student-athlete puts in, uh, to see that enjoyment, that excitement, uh, just knowing a little backstory of where they have came from their freshman year, sophomore years, it, it adds that even more. And then just uh, watching all the alum come to the games and talking to them, uh, how many teams have made it to the regionals but have never got over that hump. So just seeing it in their faces in the community, uh, it's great. And uh, like I said, it's a humbling experience, and we're just very grateful to be here. And, Coach, you got it done in, in three years, man. I mean, the school's been around since the early 60s. You come in, and in three years you're off the Charleston. Are you at all surprised that it turned around so quick? Like, if I told you – when you took over, hey, in three years you're going to Charleston. Uh, would you have believed it? Uh, you, you know, I did, with the, the athletes that we have there and the, the um, athleticism, I'm not surprised. Uh, I, I'm, like I said, very happy, happy that it, it happened. But the kids that we have in place, uh, they just with that structure and discipline they had and they they put forward. Uh, I'm not surprised. But uh, there's a good group of kids there in all all sports. It's just now we're. Uh, we're getting a little more exposure, and it's good for the community and the school. Now, you mentioned uh, the backstory with the freshmen and sophomores. Now, every coach likes to establish their way of doing things, like to establish you know, what kind of culture you want in the program. So when you took over, did you see that there were some pieces in place to build off of because you know, your six seniors were sophomores back then? Or did you say, you know what, let's tear it all down, build it up from scratch, and, and put it the way you want it? How would that work out? Uh, the, the, yeah, there was definitely places and uh, pieces in place. We we did want to start by changing the culture. Uh, we we really wanted to do that. We wanted to get the family atmosphere, uh, just adding a little discipline and structure to the whole realm of things, and uh, just creating that tenacity and that drive and that want. And uh, it was, uh, I mean, I guess a little easy to sell just because they were coming off some bad seasons and struggled a little bit. So. When we came in and we just made sure we stuck with that and we started to change that culture, it took over and it spread on its own and the kids bought in and they've just been doing so for three years now. And it was tough in the beginning because you had to preach to the seniors that were there that you're not going to reap the benefits from what you're starting. You're starting the foundation uh, for what's to come. And we kept telling the seniors for the last two years that uh, you might not see the benefits this year in short term, but you will be a part of the success that Hampshire is going to have and it's starting with you guys now. And, they bought into that, and they just they had belief in what we were teaching, and they uh, they went with it, and it is starting to show now. And I, I talked to the seniors and commend them uh, just for what they put in. And yeah, we might have been three and twenty that first year, but our kids fought. We fought until the last play of every game, and then that led to the next group, and we got to eight victories. And those those seniors as well just kept fighting, and uh, 
these seniors we have now, or like I said, we're sophomores and juniors, seeing that, seeing what the upperclassmen were doing, even when times weren't great. But they they were believing and fighting, and it's carried over to this year. And I think that uh, that tenacity that we tried to get with them and that experience that they have is just showing now. Have you heard from any of those uh, former players, like when you qualify for states, any of them reach out to say congratulations? Absolutely. Multiple kids reached out and sent texts. Uh, some of them got into the regional game. They were able to get a ticket and come watch it and, and celebrate there with us. But, yeah, th- we've had multiple players reach out. And uh, it, it's, it's always, as a coach, the greatest thing is when you get to talk to your past kids and uh, relive some of the moments that you had with them. Hampshire boys uh, basketball coach Danny Alkire on the rush this morning. Now, speaking of your current seniors, can you talk about them for a bit, what they've meant to this program, and, and how having all of that experience paid off this season? Uh, yeah, we, of our roster, of our varsity roster through the year, we've had eight kids, and six of those guys were seniors. Uh, it's just experience. It's all it comes down to they've been through it uh, last year. I know our first year going back, we, there was games where we had to learn how to come back. And then it, it got to a point where we would have the lead and we had to learn how to keep the lead. Uh, and then this year, we noticed we take less timeouts because they've been in those certain situations before. But uh, they're just learned how to weather the storm over the last two years. And we, we've been talking to them and preaching that uh, weather in the storm is not going to happen in the moment when the storm uh, occurs and pops up on you. You've already been prepared for it and you've. Uh, practice uh, what's about to come so you're ready for the moment when it does happen why the eight-man varsity roster it's relatively short compared to most 11 12-man rosters was that just simply a case of numbers or something else you wanted to do or why just the eight guys uh, i think it was multiple reasons just some kids just didn't they lost interest they didn't they didn't want to come back out uh and then i think having track and baseball going to be uh doubling down at the same time as basketball that took a couple of our kids way as well and it's a tough situation for the kids it's a situation i felt bad that they had to make a choice uh but we presume from the beginning if, if we're here for you it's your career we want you to play both we're not trying to make you just play one so we're we we did the best uh, a good relationship with the baseball coach and the track coach and we talked before the season about uh how to come up with a structure or a schedule for them to uh, participate in both but Overall, I think COVID took some and pulled them towards their one sport, which I completely respect. And a couple kids just didn't want to come back out, which happens every year. So it put us at eight. But, uh, you know, it's it's been a blessing. Those eight that came out, we preached from day one on them that, listen, it's you eight. You eight stuck together. You're going to fight together. And it, it might have helped a little bit with the camaraderie and, and the cohesiveness of the group. Now, you mentioned having to deal with the schedule with baseball and track and the overlapping schedules and, of course, everything coming off the pandemic, which is still going on, as we all know. Can you even put into words how difficult it's been having to navigate the schedule, the schedule changes, the cancellations, the postponements, and just just hoping like each day that you'll be able to practice, let alone play a game, because things seem to change on a dime throughout the season. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a struggle at times, but I'll tell you what, uh, our athletic director, Trey Stewart, he's been great. He's uh, phenomenal his job. He uh, With basketball, it's a little tougher than football. Football, you have a game canceled due to a team with COVID. You have a week to find another team. Basketball, you have three games a week, so it can be a little struggle to find teams. Uh, we only had one game that actually got canceled against us, and we were able to pick up Bridgeport that week. Uh, there at the end of the season, it was a, a – got to a point where you have to make a decision if you get infected or contract it and you get quarantined you're out the rest of the year regardless with time so we uh we made a tough decision to 
cancel our last two games of the season just for those purposes because if we were to something happen those games were out for the playoffs so uh it was hard to do because it it takes kids uh out of the game for those couple of games and or your jv now didn't have those games but luckily we had a uh, hedgeville step up and they agreed to play another jv game so we got those kids some more experience and uh yeah and it also helped there's kids that go virtual our, our school allows kids to be virtual or in person and some of our kids were virtual so uh, they weren't at least getting exposed at school if something were happened there. So the pre-practice protocols and what we tried to do there in the season, uh, we were just fortunate enough to get through the season and get to where we are now. Talking with uh, Denny Alkire, Hampshire Boys basketball coach on the rush this morning. Now, after the second time that we, and when I say we, I mean Frankfurt, played you guys this season, I came on this very show and said, I would not want any part of your team in the playoffs. You're long, athletic, Solid defense. You could pound it inside. You got some dead-eye shooters from outside. Is that what makes your team so hard to plan for, the fact that you can get it done several ways and it's so hard to focus on stopping just one thing? I, I, I can say, yeah, I would agree with that. We do have some a good size on the inside, and uh, those kids are great at finding the open guy from inside-out game, and we have some shooters that have stepped up and, and done a phenomenal job. Uh, but I honestly, I, I take it back to our defense. Uh, our guys have that grit. They have that drive. They have that want. Uh, we we put that on them, and we ask them that no matter what, you can't control your offense every night. You might have a good night. You might have a bad night. But your defensive end should be the top of its game every night because that's all a drive, and that's all what you want. So uh, I think our defense has uh, been phenomenal this year. Our kids are just flying around. Um, that athleticism and that length helps. But uh, that results in some good offense. You know, our, our first offensive play is after our last defensive play. So I think our defense has uh, amounted or led to a lot of that offense. But we do have those shooters. We have that size on the inside. And uh, I think the kids just trying to get that respect and to get that program to where we want it to be is the ultimate uh, push behind our success so far. And hopefully that just continues on. You should never have a bad night on defense, right, Coach? Isn't that what we always say? You should never Absolutely. have a bad night on defense. No, not at all. It's all heart. How much uh, did the change in classifications change the way you and the team approached the season, both in strategy and mentally? Because everything was different for you this season. In your new section, new opponents. Uh, how, did all the, how did that change the way you came into this year? Uh, you know, it, it didn't change much. Obviously, there was excitement there for uh, having – we're competing against schools now that are on size instead of twice the enrollment that we have. Our county so spread out. There's kids that drive the bus, uh, ride the bus an hour one way, maybe over an hour. So it, it, there's some limitations for athletics in our county and uh, things that prohibited people from being able to play. But I'm not going to lie to you when I say this this group we've been building up for three years now, it, this has been a, a project. And if we were still in Quad A, we would be looking to compete the same way we are in Triple A. So, uh, I don't want to say it's the reason that we're down in Tripway is why we have more success. We were we were going to come out and fight the way we normally would. We we're, we're moving forward and planning with the same uh, philosophy and scheme that we always have. I just think it's uh, just over the years the kids buying in and fighting that has got us to where we're at. So um, I would say we went in the season the same way. You know, uh, it's just we're like I said, we're grateful to uh, have the outcome we've had so far, and we're not done. We're going to go down there and we're going to fight and we're going to play like we have all year and. Uh, as long as we have a chance in the fourth quarter, like any coach would ever say, that's all you can ask for. 
So what are your plans uh, for this week? You play Wednesday at 5.30. When do you leave? Are you staying overnight? Uh, what are your plans, Coach? Yeah, we're going to go down Tuesday night, and uh, we're going we're gonna to get there Tuesday night. We're leaving Tuesday morning. We're going to try probably try to go catch the Moorfield game. They, uh, they made it to the playoffs right. as well. Uh, so we played them. We're I'm friends with their coach. So we're going to go support them, another local team. Uh, we're going to go back to the hotel and just relax. Uh, we're going to make it fun for the kids. We're going to enjoy the experience. And then uh, we're going to get ready for the game Wednesday night, and we're going to go into that, and we'll decide what happens after that. But our goal is to stay here until Saturday. All right. And, well, yeah, absolutely it is. Absolutely. Now that kind of leads me into my next question, because this is obviously new for most people involved. Uh, is one of the keys this week – trying to keep things as normal as possible. You said you want them to enjoy the experience, but you still have a game to play. Do you try to treat it like just another road trip? What's the approach going in? Uh, I don't think you can keep it normal no matter what, especially right. for a team like us who's the first time being here. So I don't want to make it to where they can't enjoy it. And uh, I do want to just remind them every once in a while to sit back, absorb it in, take it in, uh, and enjoy it. We are going to let them have fun. We're going to let them uh, be kids that they are. But, yeah, I mean – I think it's all how you convey the message. I'm not going to tell them to sit back and be tight. I want them to enjoy it, but it's just how we communicate with them and how we prepare for the game mentally is uh, not going to change. So I don't have any reserve that the kids are not going to be ready to play. Uh, I think we're going to go, and I, I think seeing the, the Coliseum the night before, the convention center the night before is going to help them out. Maybe that won't be the first time they step in there so they can see what the atmosphere is like, what the, the venue is like, so they can get used to that Tuesday night. And then, like I said, Wednesday, we're going to enjoy the day. And then getting closer to game time, we're going we're gonna to kick it into that other gear and, and just start preparing for our scheme and uh, what we want to do that night. Now, going into the season, I think a couple of the favorites to win uh, AAA was Robert C. Bird and Fairmont Sr. And they're the top two seeds uh, in the tournament. And you draw RCB in the first round. They're 13-1 and this year. From what you've seen and scouted, what can you tell us about RCB? What do you expect to see from them? Uh, I mean, they're a great team. They're coached really well. He's been there for a while. Uh, we expect them to push the ball up, get in transition. And, uh, I mean, they're a, they're a tough-nosed defensive team as well. They're a well-oiled machine. So we're just going to try to disrupt the things that they do and then continue to do the things that we do well. And like I said, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, we're just going to try to put ourselves in that position to, to do what no one else thinks we have the chance of doing. But internally, we all – I mean, this, this week of practice has been great. We all believe we we uh, have a, a good focus this week going into it. We've had some great practices, some of the best practices we've had. Uh, the kids are loose, but like I said, they're focused. So we're just going to do what we do and try to slow them down a little bit, and hopefully it's a grinded-out game. Hey, as long as you can step on the floor, Coach, you got a chance, right? Absolutely, yes, sir. All right, one more minute with Hampshire uh, boys basketball coach Danny Alcair. Now, Coach, we know that you can't accomplish something like this without the help of a lot of people. I'm going to give you the floor right now. Anybody you want to mention, you want to thank, recognize that maybe we don't normally see on, on, at the forefront as part of this accomplishment. Go ahead, Coach. Uh, obviously, it starts with the, the kids, uh, not only just on our team, but our student section. Our student section has done a phenomenal job showing up game in, game out, game out for not only us and the girls, but uh, they, they just, they, they're loud, they're heard, uh, that is huge for home court advantage. So the, the student section has been awesome. Uh, the administration, the, the staff at the school has been very supportive. Uh, our athletic director, like I've already mentioned, is, is goes above and beyond for our, our sports program at the high school. 
sometimes I don't think he gets enough credit, but he, he's done a phenomenal job for all of us at the school. Uh, our community, uh, our community's always been there. The years we've been down, our community's there to support us. Uh, so there's no change in how much support we've got from our community, but it's great to give something back to them, and, and that's what we're doing now. And last but not least is my wife, Sadie uh, Alkire. She, if it's not, I mean, coaches know uh, you can't be in this profession and you can't do what you do without having a very supportive wife and family. And uh, I give it all to her because there's a lot of time where she's trying to round up a seven-year-old and a one-year-old at games, and it's, it's tough for her. But without her, I wouldn't be able to do this. Uh, so overall, the whole community has been awesome. Uh, and I want to thank them from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, our kids notice it. Our kids appreciate it, and our kids are very thankful grateful for them. Well, Coach, I thank you for coming on. You've achieved one first in program history, but there are more firsts to be had starting with this Wednesday versus Robert Seabird. We wish you safe travels, best of luck this week, and thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me, and I uh, uh, hope to talk to you some more. Yes, sir, absolutely. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. And there he is, Hampshire head coach Danny Alkire. Very first time on the show, as a matter of fact. Glad to have him on board as he gets ready to take his Trojans down the road to Charleston for the very first time in school history. We definitely look forward to that game and hopefully talking about a Hampshire victory on Thursday morning. All right, more of the rush coming up here in just a bit. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Many thanks once again to uh, Hampshire boys basketball coach Danny Alkire for jumping on the rush line last segment. Talk about uh, the Trojans' season. Very successful season to date. And they're heading to the state tournament for the first time in school history. I, I still can't get over that. Like, I knew it had been a long time. But I didn't know that length of time was never. Like, it was hard for me to get over that. But they're going. And we wish them well. And if you missed any of that interview, you can check it out on our podcast page uh, on the free Podbean app. I'll upload that later on uh, this morning. During the break, as I usually do, I peruse uh, the socials, the interwebs, just to, you know, in case some uh, breaking news happens or whatever, I can, you know, be on top of it. And just so happened I was on the Book of Faces, and one of those, you know, Facebook memories pop up, right? And so somebody, no, I'm not putting this on my Twitter page, but somebody posted a old basketball uh, team photo, a team that I was on, and I do believe I was in eighth grade at the time of that photo, maybe ninth grade. I can't remember. And a couple of things stood out. Number one, not a lot of time and money put into our jerseys. <laughs> not like, not like you see today, right? You see like little league and uh, midget league, like football and rec- youth basketball. Some of the jerseys are like nicer than like pro level. I mean, teams go all out for these jerseys. Jerseys we had on, they were solid red with white numbers. That's it. That's it. I'm standing there in all my glory, my eighth or ninth grade glory, in just a red tank top and a white number. 
Number 42, big man down low, baby. What's up? Secondly, looking at my <laughs> looking at my hair, uh, I have questions. I don't know who was responsible for that, but I'm fairly certain I didn't pick that style. You talk about a head of lettuce. It <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be a perm, and it has to be. Like, my hair is not naturally curly at all. But here I am with just this big old borshy hair, man. It is, anyway, <laughs> not, one of, not one of my better looks. Let's put it that way. I will say, though, that team right there, I do remember this. I don't know where the haircut came from or the perm or whatever it is. But I do know that team right there won the championship that year. We won the title, baby. The Biddy League title back in, I guess that would have been 84, 85. Anyway. Uh, All right, let's get back to some draft talk. Uh, Last hour, I was handing out some draft grades with the Ravens, Washington, and the Steelers. Because those are the three teams we talk about the most here on the show. And I was grading them from best to worst. And I thought the Ravens had the best draft out of the three. And again, I, I, I talk about all this tongue-in-cheek because I think draft grades are stupid a day after the draft because we don't know how these guys are going to pan out. But we we got to talk about it, right? That's what we do. So I gave the Ravens a B plus. I gave Washington a B-. minus. I thought they drafted fairly well overall. And then... Uh, there's the Steelers who sat with the 24th overall pick and in desperate need for help on the offensive line and in the secondary. And they addressed neither. When I went over my not-too-serious mock draft on Thursday, I said that they were going to take Alabama running back Najee Harris and that I wasn't going to like it. Well, they did, and I didn't. And I wasn't the only one. Uh, Here's ESPN front office insider Mike Tannenbaum after the Steelers uh, made the pick. I don't like this pick for a number of reasons. You have an aging quarterback who's not nearly as mobile as he once was in Ben Roethlisberger. Villanueva, their long-time left tackle, is not signed. Marquise Pouncey, their longtime center, has retired. You had a couple of players there, Tevin Jenkins, somebody that I know Bart likes a lot, Oklahoma State, Landon Dickerson. He's been had a number of injuries, but he's a frontline center, and there's a ton of running backs. So when you look at trying to look at this from a strategic planning standpoint, I love Najee, Najee Harris as a player, although from a pass-receiving standpoint, I think it's still a work in progress. I like Travis Etienne from Clemson better and probably Javante Williams is very close for me with Najee Harris. So when you look at that offensive line, I'm worried if I'm a Steeler fan because how are you going to protect a very stationary Ben Roethlisberger? Now look, this is a uh, an historical moment because it may be the only time I've ever been on the same page with Mike Tannenbaum about anything. But we're on the same page here. And, and, and let me be clear, this is not a knock on Najee Harris. I think he, 
along with uh, Clemson's Etienne, were the top two backs in the draft. So this is not a knock on his talent, his ability, or anything. But running back simply was not the Steelers' biggest issue. Now, I know they had the worst run game in the league last season. Right? As a team, they ran for 1,351 yards. Two players, Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook, ran for more than the entire Steelers team. I get that. But it had nothing to do with the running backs. It was the running backs playing behind a terrible offensive line and playing in an offense that only ran the ball 34% of the time. Add in the fact that three of those linemen from last year, Villanueva, Pouncey, and Matt Filer, they're gone. They needed to address the O-line, and they didn't. You heard Tannenbaum mention Dickerson. Alabama center Landon Dickerson, he was still there. Oklahoma State tackle Tevin Jenkins, he was still on the board. Notre Dame tackle Liam Eichenberg, he was there. The guy I talked about with Washington, Texas tackle Samuel Cosme, he was there. And look, maybe those guys didn't have first-round grades, but the Steelers needed help on the O-line first and foremost, and they didn't address it in the first round. So you thought, surely... They'll address it in the second round, right? No, they didn't. They went with a tight end, which technically I know is offensive line, but they needed interior help. And by all accounts, you know, Penn State's uh, Pat Fryermuth, solid pick. Many had him uh, rated as the second best tight end in this year's draft behind Kyle Pitts. And there was a need, I'll give him this much, Four tight ends since Vance McDonald retired. Eric Ebron can't do it all. But there was still a greater need for interior offensive line. And there were still several good centers and guards available. David DeCastro is the only projected starter on that offensive line with more than 20 career starts. And the Steelers addressed it by going running back and tight end in their with their first two picks. I just didn't get it. I don't get it. It's almost like they wanted to give new offensive coordinator Matt Canada a few, you know, new toys to play with before going after what they really needed. Now, in the third and fourth rounds, they finally addressed the line by getting Illinois guard Kendrick Green and Texas A&M tackle Dan Moore. And Green, look, he's a three-year starter at Illinois. He played mostly at guard, had to move to center because of injury issues with other guys. So he can play both spots, and I heard one scout say he has a real mean streak, which I like in alignment. Moore, he's a bulldozer. He's an earth mover. He's 6'6", 311. But wasn't really, I think he was rated as a 12th best tackle in the draft. Probably my two favorite, and this (laughs) this is telling you something right here. Probably my two favorite picks for the Steelers came in the seventh round when they grabbed Oklahoma safety Trey Norwood, who tied for the Big 12 lead last season with five interceptions. The Steelers needed secondary help because Mike Hilton's gone, Steven Nelson is gone, and they waited until the seventh round to do it. And then with their last pick, 
The Steelers took a punter, Presley Harvin III, out of Georgia Tech. And not just any punter. A punter that goes between 260 and 270 pounds. This dude is a unit that can boom the ball. He led the ACC last season, 49 yards per punt. He was a unanimous first-team All-American. So when it comes to the draft grades, the seventh rounders were the only reason I didn't give the Steelers an F for this draft. So they get a D. I give the Steelers a D. And again, tongue-in-cheek, we have no idea. All these guys may prove to be just 10-time Pro Bowlers, Hall of Famers, who knows. But the simple fact that the Steelers needed before anything else, help on the offensive line, and they waited into the third and fourth rounds to address it. I'm I'm sorry. It, it stunk. Their draft stunk. Najee Harris could be the second coming of Barry Sanders, but did you see what he had to run behind in Detroit all those years? A bad offensive line. Actually, that makes no sense because Sanders had a Hall of Fame career. So if he is Barry Sanders, all right, great. But I don't think he is. Let's put it that way. I don't think he's Barry Sanders. Very good running back, but not good enough to take with the 24th overall pick when you need help in other areas. They also needed linebacker help, and they didn't take it to the mid-rounds. So, look, hey, they're the pros. They get paid a lot of money to make those decisions, not me sitting here in the big chair. So... If they work out, great. If not, they have the answer for it, not me. I just did not like how they approached the draft at all. So that's it. They get a D from me. Ravens, B+. Washington, B-. Steelers, D. All right, back to wrap it up. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Wrapping things up. On the morning rush on this Monday morning, let's go straight to the rush line. Try to get a call in under the wire if the caller is still there. You're up. Tony. Yeah, what's up? Uh, Roy B. from uh, Wiley Ford. Hey, what's going on? (laughs) Just wanted to talk a little baseball for one minute on this nice rainy day. Yeah, right. Uh, Steroids and baseball. I think that Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Clemens, all those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. And... uh, (laughs) On Pete Rose, conversely speaking, on the gamble, right? gambling, I don't think he should ever be in. I was wondering what your opinion was. All right, well, let me ask you this before I give you my opinion. What's the difference between cheating with steroids and cheating with gambling? And, and there's no even, not even proof that Rose cheated with gambling. He just bet on his own team. So well, how do you separate the two? I know. It's an ethics question. I think you can uh, draw a parallel between you know, women not being able to vote, blacks not being able to vote. I think, you know, the mores and the values of the times change. Conventional wisdom, popular opinion can be wrong. And I think steroids, you were a basketball player, say, and they were in eighth grade. You know, in my era, Bob Hayes was the world's fastest athlete. I think you could take steroids for the rest of your life and never be Bob Hayes in a 100-yard dash. So I think it's about talent more than the steroids. Okay, okay. So even... If you take the steroids out of the the equation, you still have some pretty good ball players there. That's what you're trying to say, more or less. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, yeah. Especially in a case like Barry Bonds. Bonds is a Hall of Famer 
before his head grew ten sizes too big. <laughs> it did. You know, McGuire, I'm not so sure, but but Bonds definitely. Yeah, and Clemens needs to be in there. Yeah, too. Clemens as well. Clemens, he was also a Hall of Famer before he allegedly uh, took steroids. So, but yeah, I, I agree, and I think look, it, it's no secret to I think anybody what was going on there that those guys and probably many others were you know on steroids or something else. If the numbers are there, I have no problem with them going in. But you just have to make sure that you put it on the plaque or, or whatever that everybody knows the underlying story. You know what I mean? Now, don't you think that McGuire and Sosa, Ding Dong, and Barry Bonds, Jason Hack, Aaron, captivated the country there for a certain period well, of sure time? Well, sure it did. Because it, it, baseball was in a bad way after that, after that strike, which, which canceled the World Series. Baseball was hurting. And that did, like you said, uh, captivated the country. It, I was wrapped up in it. I think a lot of people were because it gave people a reason to tune in and watch baseball once again because a lot of people got turned off after that strike. And in short, it, it put baseball back on the map. And I think baseball was more than happy to just sweep the whole steroid thing under the rug because of how great that chase was, for sure. One last thing before I go, because I know you're up against the time. Yeah. Pete Rose, he's the ultimate arbitrator who's in the lineup. He can put in like some scrub pitcher or triple A guy not ready because he's been losing, and now he can make a big win, you know, on his gambling. It's so I true. Think, you know, yeah. he's out forever, in my opinion. Yeah, it's and, and you're not the only one. Um, I personally think him with the gambling as a manager had nothing to do with what he did on the field. Nothing. So you put him in based on what he did as a player, but again, like the steroids, you put an asterisk, you make sure you mention what he did after the fact, so it's not like, you know, he was a, a you know, clean-cut individual, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, his record is deserving, I'm not taking that away from yeah, him at all. Yeah, yeah. The way he played, he epitomized, you know, Charlie Hustle. Charlie so Hustle, absolutely, there. absolutely. And you know, this will be a debate that will rage on, Till the end of time, for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, no question. Hey, thank you, Tony. All right, brother. Thanks for the call, man. Yeah, Have a good day. You. you too. All right, Roy checking out. Like it. A little baseball talk as we wrap things up. He's the man. Roy from Wiley Ford checking in. Uh, real quick, before we get out of here, let's check on the player who delivered. Uh, brought, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about two players, two of the NBA's biggest stars, going head-to-head yesterday, Kevin Durant and Giannis. Going at it in Milwaukee, Durant, 42 points and 10 boards. Giannis, 49 points, 8 boards, 4 assists, as the Bucks beat the Nets, 117-114. Third time in NBA history, a pair of 30-plus games between two former MVPs in the same game. How about that? So, Kevin Durant and Giannis, the Greek freak, are players who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Tomorrow, we will uh, preview the Boys State Tournament in Charleston. And in case you missed it, we talked with uh, Hampshire head coach Danny Alkire, first segment of this hour. Don't forget, it'll all be up on our podcast page later this morning, so you can check it out there. We'll preview the Boys State Tournament. And a lot of stuff going on tonight. We've got baseball. we got the Pens and Caps both in action. Those teams separated by two points in the East Division standings after uh, the Pens swept the two-game set from the Caps. Uh, last Thursday and Saturday, heading down the home stretch. Don't, and don't forget, you can catch the Capitals game right here tonight. 
They're taking on the Rangers at MSG, pregame 645, puck drop shortly after 7 o'clock. So we will definitely uh, talk about those games tomorrow as well as the high school basketball tournament. And I'm sure uh, Aaron Rodgers will be crying about something else. So we'll talk about that as well. Because Rodgers, boy, he's making a mess of situation in Green Bay, isn't he? Just a mess. Just play, man. Like you're a Hall of Famer. You're an MVP. You don't have to be the GM. You're the quarterback. Just play. And be quiet. And go host Jeopardy. All right, we're done. Uh, Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you back here tomorrow, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah! I see ya!